0: This is Peak Earth. I'm Case Bradford. Thank you for tuning in to this episode with Chase Hill. Chase is the founder of The Wool Shire, which is an absolutely amazing wool goods company. They specialize in wool pillows, which have an organic cotton liner. And that is absolutely tremendous because most pillows are made from polyester. And we talk about why that's important. We also discuss Chase's story. Super fascinating. He... Was roaming america in his younger years searching for meaning train hopping wound up building a log cabin by hand he figured hey if american peasants and pioneers can do it back in the day he can do it too with the power of youtube and pulled it off he's built three houses by hand and lived in one of them for three years with no electricity no running water it was just chase and himself He dove deep into the spiritual realm. I really enjoyed listening to what he learned through that experience. seems like he is using that connection and bringing it to the world through his business, the Woolshire, the best wool pillows. I don't use a pillow personally, I sleep without a pillow. But for those who do, most people, this does seem like the best pillow and you'll learn why in this conversation but don't worry it's not an entire podcast about pillows uh, we just riff on that for a bit but mostly dive deep in the chase's story which is absolutely fascinating if you are new listener welcome thank you for tuning in if you are returning thank you as well really appreciate everyone who is lending their ears and if you'd like to contribute you could share an episode that's always a good way to send me some great vibes and leaving a five-star review i think that takes like 11 or 17 seconds i feel kind of lame saying these things but it does help it helps me collaborate with more co-creators and reach more listeners so those are two ways to contribute if you feel like it if not no big deal that's cool thank you for listening and without any more rambling from me thanks again hope you enjoy this episode with chase hill how are you hey you good okay good to be here Glad to connect with you. We were talking, I forget how exactly we got connected online, but found out what you're doing. Absolutely fascinating. And you've got a really cool backstory, journey, adventure of of life as well that I'm excited to to learn more about. about. So thanks for taking the time to connect with me and Jam. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, good to be here. So I guess just to to start off, the Woolshire is the name of your company. And from what I understand, you offer amazing wool pillows. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Not to sound
1: biased, but I think we have the best natural pillow on the market. We use uh, organic Texas cotton, which is just really, really nice. Like when you get our pillow, it's just a very nice feel. Um, and then we use locally grown, uh, Northwest uh, grown wool and, uh, we just manufacture them, uh, or make them, I guess here in our basement. And, uh, yeah, we started in December and it's, um, it's been great. It's just been really, really good. Uh, positive vibes from the community and, uh, really picking up. So we're really grateful for that.
0: Awesome. And the locally grown wool. So you're, how did you get connected with, I guess that comes from sheep around you in Idaho somewhere. Is it, is that the gist of it?
1: Yeah, we're, we're mostly getting our wool from, uh, Montana, uh, just about four hours. Our North Idaho is not like the best place for sheep. Um, we're just between two major mountain ranges and, uh, Anyway, there's just not a lot of good pasture for sheep, um, but in Montana, just four hours away, there's it's like sheep country out there, and then, um, so we're getting a lot of wool from that wool mill, and then we're also getting uh, a wool from a different wool mill um, that's actually in Northern California, and they use uh, organ wool, so we were exclusively using the Montana wool, but we, uh, we kind of maxed out that capacity, which was really cool, and uh, started supplementing the the in wool as well.
0: Wow, that is very cool. So you started out with a small local farm a few hours away in Montana, now expanding to just get wool from the next best spot. What, have you visited the farm where, where the sheep are growing that wool? yeah
1: so the the wool mill is not a farm itself it's um i mean the guy's been a you know sheep farmer for years um but now he just gets like local wool basically from local sheep farmers and then he processes it himself he cleans it and then cards it into bats um and then same with that california mill they they get all this wool from oregon um so they're both very picky about like what wool they get um the one even has a certification of like oh this has never been you know sprayed with you know the pasture's never been sprayed with pesticides and um all these sort of things so both of them are very quality nice meals mills the the one in california is huge uh they process like 1500 pounds a day of wool and uh the one in montana is pretty small but um but they're very cute uh they're like cute older <laughs> people like With hunchbacks and uh we really like
0: them so awesome you know it's it's so fascinating i kind of got into the whole fiber concept just the awakening to the idea that oh our uh, clothes and our couches and our bedding it's all made of things (laughs) what are these things that they're made of and then on, on one hand you've got pretty much everything made from from polyester which from what i understand is some petroleum derived chemical nonsense and probably primarily coming from overseas China and made in not so great conditions you know the entire process uh, suboptimal to say the least, it was pretty yeah. eye opening for me and they say, okay wow, well, what is the what are the alternatives and you've got things like cotton and wool like you mentioned there other ones you know hemp or leather uh, just like more traditional natural fibers how did, how did you kind of get into all of this? yeah, it
1: was unlike like everything um just like going down a rabbit hole, you know, like we think about what we eat all the time. Like that's a main one. Um, but I think as I was just getting aware, I was working in construction when I was just getting a lot of sinus headaches, uh, working with plywood, working with, um, hardy siding, which is like a cement fiber siding. There's just a lot of chemicals, um, that they have to use to treat this material, a lot of glues, a lot of plastics. And, you know, I'm cutting it with a saw, ripping things down and, uh, just inhaling it. I refuse to you know, like wear a mask on the work site and uh, just because it's really annoying and I, I wear big glasses, so they get really fogged up. Um, so I was just getting headaches a lot. And then I started looking into like, what is this, what is this stuff we're building our house out of? You know, you look at old, old world buildings, you go to Europe or even like the East side of America and uh, you know, they use natural materials to build. There's a lot of timber frame, there's a lot of brick stone and uh, and this new way is just totally, you know, it's just quick and cheap. I mean, it's not really cheap, but it's supposed to be cheap. And, uh, and so yeah, that sort of opened my eyes to like materials, environmental toxins. And then, um, and then we had a baby and then we just started looking into like, you know, clothing and, um, and like mattresses and things like that. And we just, we were trying to find a nice, like organic mattress for the baby for his crib. And, um, He ended up co-sleeping anyway, but, um, we, we got, we were looking and and there's like brands like snuggle me organic and they're called organic, but they're like just an organic cotton case on the outside. And then it's just polyester fill on the inside, which is like, seems like a little bit like, like a weird marketing angle. And, uh, and so, you know, you, you smell when you get a new mattress or whatever, you smell the off-gassing, like, you know, it's seeping through the, the, through the outside fabric. Um, so we were just like, ah, oh, let's just make like a wool mattress. We, we really like, I've always loved wool. I like to wear wool coats in the winter and, um, yeah, we just bought some wool and made a mattress and then we we're like, no, we should, we should make wool products. And, uh, that's kind of what started us. Wow.
0: What a cool story. And all catalyzed by having a baby, having a son and, and looking deeper into some of these things and inspired by your, your time in construction to awaken to the fact that we're kind of surrounded by all these sort of strange synthetic, you know, derivatives of what used to be more of a, a natural sound material. And now we're just trying to cut corners, cut costs. And we're, we're coming to this place of like, well, why is everything like fractured in a way it's not quite authentic. It's this thing that's kind of off gassing and, and giving us illness and mostly it's through this intention of cutting costs and making making more money and or looking at this from every angle our our food is, is going through this our you know our, our clothing our, our building materials our bedding and when you decided to start to make your own how what, what was that like have you ever made any any bedding before like how'd you come across the wool and go about actually creating the thing yeah no we we actually didn't even have any sewing
1: experience we had to we had to take sewing lessons and, uh, kind of learn from there. But, um, yeah, I've always been kind of a DIY type guy. Uh, we built our own house and, uh, I've built a couple cabins before that. And so, um, I'm always like trying to take things by the horns and, and like hands on try to understand how things work, except for mechanics. I really don't like mechanics too well. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we, we actually contacted a friend um, in Montana, a Twitter friend, actually, and uh, she hooked us up with this wool mill and we just went and visited. We took our, our a trip and Frederick was just like, I think he was like two weeks old. And we took this trip to Montana and uh, visited this wool mill and they just inspired us and they really encouraged us like, Cause they also make wool pillows. Um, mostly they do the carding, but they they sell wool pillows on the side. And so uh, they taught us how to make pillows and they were just like, yeah, you should do this. And uh, so, yeah, it was just encouraging to learn from like an old timer, you know, like
0: passing down that knowledge. Cool. Keep Keeping the flame alive, just getting this knowledge from, you know, previous generations that is really important and essential to, to carry forward because it, it does have tremendous value and we're kind of losing some of these things that I feel like, but you're bringing it bringing it forward, still making these high quality goods with, with your bare hands from local environments, you know, connected to the supply chain and doing it in a way that's authentic and valuable. And it's it's awesome. So with the next step from there, how'd you decide to go into business doing this? And, and what was it like kind of selling the first few products?
1: Yeah, we... Um we well, we've always been trying to like come up with ideas like how can we work from home like you know not like a tech job or anything. I don't have any tech experience. My computer is like fifteen years old, and like even to download this riverside i had the I had to update one different browser, my browser wouldn't work um that's what people are like working from home now they're like all techy and stuff uh so anyway we we couldn't do that and we're we've both been like rural living our whole lives, so um, yeah, we're kind of removed from that, that world a little bit. So we, um, I had been working construction. I wanted to get out of construction and, and do something. I've always liked just working with my hands and making quality products, you know, like quality things, um, toys for my child or, or whatever. And yeah, when we made the mattress, um, the crib mattress, the wool crib mattress, we just thought like, Oh, this was like, this was, it's, it's time. It takes time and it takes like skill and craftsmanship and stuff. But we were like, this could be something that people would find valuable. And we know like our sources very well and we're very transparent. And so, and we're not like some, you know, huge company that's trying to like, like snuggle me organics, not to rip on them again, but um, (laughs) we're not trying to like hide anything, you know, we're not trying to like cover things up. And, uh, and so so yeah, we were just like, we should, we should just test the waters. So on my personal Twitter, I like, I put out this idea that like we were going to do this and I ran a poll for like logos and stuff. And, um, it was just like the most receptivity I've ever gotten on Twitter. And so it was really encouraging. I was like, man, that, this is cool. Um, and so yeah, it just birthed out of Twitter really. Um, which is so weird. You wouldn't think like Twitter is the place to go to start. I mean, you see it a lot now, but but um, you wouldn't normally think Twitter is a place to go to like start a brand or whatever. But
0: uh, here we are. Wow. Yeah, it is, it is fascinating what can happen through the internet and Twitter or X specifically. There's... Yes, yes there's like a lot of enthusiasm about entrepreneurship it's cool it's cool like people are very supportive of of people trying to just do new. whether it's like someone uh who's like really overweight going to like start lose weight you know people are very supportive encouraging and that's that's great because that's how you know that's the best of humanity i feel like is when we're supporting each other encouraging each other to do cool things and, and do new things and and i think the internet gets a lot of flack for You know kind of promoting or shining a light illuminating a lot of dark the darkness you know the dark side of mankind through various videos or uh you know trolling or you know there's a lot of gnarly stuff out there so i think the internet gets a lot of flack for that but it's also got a very cool side for those who choose to engage with it like like you did and and are continuing to do and it's definitely pretty awesome
1: yeah it can be the best and the worst of mankind you know the internet can expose that (laughs)
0: yeah it's a wild wild place out there and and you mentioned having lived rurally and building houses and, and building log cabins and we had been exchanging some emails prior to the conversation you mentioned living in cabins for years uh, essentially off off grid when at what point in your life was that when when did all that go down
1: yeah so i i um i had kind of a radical youth uh traveling around um america searching for meaning and um I graduated high school a year early when I was 17 and I just kind of wanted to, I don't know, I was reading a lot of Jack Kerouac and I wanted to kind of explore uh, life without any uh, sort of voluntary poverty. And after that was all done, I went to college. Um, Yeah, I got a degree in humanities and then, um, which I don't do anything with. And then, um, and then I had saved up. Uh, money and I bought. It was actually really inexpensive at the time. It was uh five and a half acres for like nine thousand bucks. Um, really rural, no power, no nothing. And it had just been logged. It was you know a timber company had logged it, and um, I built a log cabin there. And I kind of ran out of money as I was finishing it, so I had to work for this uh this wood mill, and uh, and then I finished it, but I didn't have enough money to like move in and. You know, it was, it was very basic. So I sold the cabin on Craigslist of all places <laughs> um, and I made a little bit of money doing that. And then, uh, and then I bought this land up uh Ruby, Ruby, Ruby Creek in Naples, Idaho, which is where the infamous Ruby Ridge incident happened. Like I was just, you know, 20 acres or something like that away from where the Ruby Ridge incident, you know, which happened in the nineties. Um, but I, you know, this was only in, like, seven years ago or eight years ago. And, uh, yeah, I built, um, I bought the land, uh, which was 10 acres on uh, Ruby Creek. We had the year round Creek growing, going through it. It was just a beautiful piece of property that people had kind of trashed. There was just a lot of trailers there and a lot of junk. Um, and I bought this, this contractor was taking this house down. And so I just bought all the material off of him and just read, just built a cabin, a 16 by 20 cabin with all that material. So it cost me like next to nothing. Like, I think, I I think I paid like $2,000 for all the materials and he gave me, um, like a roof package with it. So, uh, I built this cabin and it was just very basic, like plywood floors. Um, I didn't have any siding on the building or anything, no electricity, no water. Um, and it was like halfway finished and I lived in that for, Almost three years with no running water and no electricity. It was very basic.
0: Wow. And you live in a different place now with that you also built, or, or is this is this one built by somebody else?
1: Yeah, so, um, so I lived off-grid for almost three years, and then uh, I became a truck driver and I started driving like regionally, got enough money to finish the cabin, um, finished it and made it very cute, very Pinteresty, and then, um, and then sold it and made, made like a good profit on it. Um, I also, I lived in it for like two years when it was nice. So that was, that was nice. And then, um, and then now we have, now we live outside of Sandpoint, Idaho, uh, which is about an hour from where I was before. And like, we got married and, um, and then yeah, we built a house. It's, it's an actual, like, I don't know regular house, I guess. And, uh, and yeah, we built it ourselves. Um, we contracted out like the electricity and the plumbing and stuff like that, but um, vast majority we did ourselves.
0: Wow. Cool. What, what's it like building houses? It sounds like you've made three now uh, over the years. It, did you have like learn more along along the way or just the you know the craft of, of house building like how do i you know i not many people i feel like a tiny percentage of people have built houses or would even know where to begin like how do you even know how to do that and what was the process like actually doing it yeah when when i first started the first cabin
1: was this log cabin and um and i had no construction experience at all like zero like my dad didn't even teach me how to use a hammer or drill and uh <laughs> and so there was YouTube. It wasn't, it wasn't as good as it is now, but um, there was YouTube and then I just bought a bunch of like log cabin books. And I hired two guys that were lived at the trailer park, you know, a couple of miles from the cabin. And, uh, and they had some construction experience. And so we were all just like looking at these books and they were like old timey books, like how to, how to fall a tree, how to, you know, peel a tree, you know, what, like what type of um, notches to make for the logs. And so, I hired out the concrete work, um, which was probably my best idea because I, I no one should try to do concrete work if you haven't done it before, like because it's your foundation. It's pretty important. Um, and so there, you're starting with you know like something that's square and you can work with. And then um, yeah, and then we just cut trees down. We we drove them over with my pickup and uh, we peeled them, we dried them. And then we would just like manhandle them. You know, these, they must've been, you know, 20, 22, 24 foot long uh, logs and, um, maybe like, you know, 10 inches in diameter. And then we would just put them on top of the other one, uh, had a little like scribe and we would cut out the, the notch with a chainsaw. And that was kind of my introduction to, to construction. It was, it was really, um you know, it was a traditional,
0: I guess, but not traditional today. Wow, man, that's wild. What, what was the hardest part of that process?
1: Well, once you get like so high, um, you're having to like, you know, do awkward things with the logs. You know, you're gonna have to like lift it up and one person's gonna have to like climb up and you're gonna have to like hand him the other log. And uh, we had some close calls where we almost dropped a log on our, on our friend. Um but he luckily like fell into the ditch underneath so he didn't get crushed Uh so it was it was it was pretty stressful Um but once once we got like the base down it was it was fine
0: what did how, how, that change if anything about the, the way you perceive sort of ancient builders or ancient buildings like these large I mean on one hand you've got these large mesolithic structures like the great like the great pyramids which is pretty much mind-blowing for everybody but then you've also got these amazing sort of uh, medieval era castles and and churches that are also, you know, a little bit earlier in time and and maybe a little bit less impressive, but still just absolutely mind-blowing to think that people did that without, you know, modern equipment, mostly by hand. Yeah,
1: I was taking a very like American pioneer approach, which was just like uneducated peasants coming over to the West or whatever and and building cabins. And uh, I figured if they could do it, like I could do it since I have some resources now but no looking back on ancient civilizations like they knew more I think they knew more than we ever give them credit for in fact I think they might know you know they might know more than us in some in some capacity you know like their precision and and like tools just make us lazy you know because we're able to use the tool to to perform that same sort of craftsmanship but um but yeah it's it's mind-blowing to look at some of those old buildings
0: Yeah, yeah, it is, especially if you have any idea about like what it is like to build even, you know, basic log cabin, which sounds like it's definitely a difficult undertaking, challenging to do. And then these people, I guess they're probably people who are building these, you know, just the great pyramids, these massive multi Ton slabs of stone that are just somehow fit perfectly together, and also aligned with these celestial <laughs> bodies. And how, how they right. know all about that? It's yeah, pretty pretty mind blowing. And even what you've done is is mind blowing. To to think that you you were cutting down these trees and then built a house out of it. I think a lot of people would, you know, think that's a completely un completely impossible undertaking. I mean, but you've got the internet, which is going to help guide you, and, and you've got some help and then you've got just the will to be able to to build that and then you moved moved on to, to further houses did, did you get a little bit better each time sort of with the experience and, and with the um, understanding of, of house building yeah i ended up
1: just moving into like uh stick framing which is just using dimensional lumber um to build which it's really not that hard like once you get once you get like the basics down um it's not crazy there's nothing like really that crazy um you just kind of have to know like the basics um and so yeah i had a little bit of help building my my cabin up in naples um ruby ridge cabin and uh and he sort of gave me some pointers too and then and then i started working like some construction side jobs here and there and picked up more and more um skills and how to use saw, different saws and things like that
0: cool and living in the cabin with no power no water for three years How'd that experience? What were some of your, your takeaways from that?
1: Yeah, three years is a really long time to live, um, like in isolation. I mean, I had I'd go to town now and again, things like that. But it's uh, you really get to know yourself. Like, there's no hiding. You know, there's no distractions. And when you're have to encounter when you have to encounter yourself for that long, um, you just are forced to get to know yourself. Uh, your weaknesses, your strengths, and um, it was a really special time. Like I look back on it with a lot of fondness. Uh, it was also like very depressing, especially towards the end. Um, winter would be very depressing because the sun goes down like at like three thirty here uh, in the afternoon in, in uh, winter time, and I would only the church I was going to uh, they used beeswax candles, so they would always give me like the remnants of. Uh, the candles so I I just have like all these candles lighting my my wall Uh, I had like those old world like candle you know the ones that mount to your wall and you could just light them to kind of illuminate things I read a lot of books and um, I did have a cell phone it was a flip phone Um, and if I like put it like in a certain position in my window like I could get like one or two bars and so I call my mom or my brothers, or something, now and again, and uh, I would charge it in my car. You know, I turned my car on and plugged the battery in. But yeah, it, it definitely challenges you. Um, I don't think, I don't think many people would be able to do it now. Like, I think it's really, even for like a couple weeks, it's like really like. At first, I was really kind of scared because um, you're just like out in the woods. You don't know anything. Like, I didn't know my neighbors. You know, I mean, I couldn't see them, but I didn't know where they were um i didn't know any you know anybody there and uh it's a little bit nerve you know you, you just go to sleep and you hope everything wait you know is okay once you wake up uh so i just kind of conquered like any fears i had of you know like the unknown and uh yeah special time could be depressing sometimes but overall a good experience
0: what are we doing for the food water just like the basic elements of survival how, how did you kind of go about cooking or sourcing just your nutriment on the, on the daily basis yeah i had a little
1: camp stove like a little coleman two burner and then i just had a cast iron pan um and sometimes i would use to try to save the propane because i was like i was literally living off of a few thousand dollars a year uh it would just be like side work i'd, I'd pick up because i really didn't want to work i just wanted to kind of focus on growth and um and spiritual growth And so, um, so like in the winter, I had my stove going, my wood stove, Uh, cook on that sometimes. And that's how I would bathe, which I really didn't bathe that much. I had really long hair and uh, I wouldn't bathe that much, but I would heat up a big pot of water on the stove and then take like a sponge bath um, in like a little metal ring that I'd stand in. And then, yeah, I would just, you know, like I had a, uh, in the summertime, I had this cooler that I dug into the hillside. This was like very rednecky. Um, cause bears ended up stealing this cooler from me, but, uh, it worked for a while. I had, I would just buy ice blocks and put them in the cooler and like keep like dairy products and things like that in there. Um, and that worked, that would work for like a week, uh, keeping it cool. And then just a lot of like pancakes, rice, um, kind of basic sort of things. I didn't eat a lot of meat, uh, during this time, um, just because it was like, in the winter, I could keep it frozen, fine. But um, in the summer, it was a little bit more difficult. I'd have to like buy meat and then eat it the next day, pretty much. And then the creek—the uh, creek was this year-round, beautiful creek, and uh, that's how I got all my water, drinking water. I would go down there with some jugs and carry them up the hill, five-gallon jugs in each hand, and it was a good workout.
0: <laughs> nice. Wow. Yeah. This it really is a fascinating life choice to choose to go and live like that what was the catalyst or the reason for why you chose to live in that way
1: yeah i've always sort of liked mountain men and kind of like their i don't know lifestyle their recordings of of living wild and living like basic and then i was also like experiencing like i was uh, growing spiritually trying to like discovered my faith more and um so i had looked at like orthodox spirituality like hermits and um people who live in solitude and i was reading a lot of like lives of the saints and things like that and so i was trying to like maybe like halfway delusionally like um but i was trying to kind of experience or like mimic that lifestyle and uh and try to learn more about myself i've always been kind of a weird guy so it was (laughs) i guess it helped to to isolate
0: myself a little bit more. Me too. Yeah, I always always been a bit of of a odd odd duck, and yeah. certainly had you know fantasies of <laughs> escaping. I think a lot of people have a fantasy of, of doing exactly what you did, and you actually went and you did it. You just went, you know. And I guess a, a parallel that's coming to mind is I think some people go and you know live sort of a monastic life with in sort of a you know with monks, and they do a lot of meditating and and things of that nature. But this was a more of a journey of solitude. And I think probably a lot more courageous what, what you what you did versus you know something like going living with a monastery because everything's sort of already set up there. But yeah. the um, did you do you think you found what what you were looking for in that part of your life? Yeah,
1: I think so. Um, I grew a lot. Like I I had to, I was forced to grow a lot and uh, get to know myself more. And then um, yeah, and I had experienced a lot of like. I, I mean, I did it to myself. It's my own fault that I I had before this. I was traveling across America and like hitchhiking and jumping trains, so I had experienced a lot of rejection from society because, you know, you're you're this guy on the side of the road with long hair. You know, of course, nobody's like people reject you just like off the bat, which is fine. Like I I understand that, and uh, and even to some extent, like I, underst- I understand like if my if my wife and babies were in the car, like I'm not going to pick up some guy that's. Looks like kind of crazy, um, <laughs> so I guess that sort of that sort of prepared the way a little bit, like living like that and like living as kind of like an outcast of society, sort of like prepared the way for um, for that for like more uh, more isolation and um, yeah, I definitely I definitely grew a lot in my faith and I think. I didn't become like more spiritual person i guess i i think i i think i just got to know my get to i got to know myself better and was able to be honest with myself you know instead of looking at myself as like this spiritual warrior um who's able to like transcend reality or something i think i was able to just kind of like get to know myself
0: and like be humble a little bit more actually beautiful i'd love to learn more about your perception or your coalescence with this concept of spirituality, because it's such a, I've always been fascinated by it myself. I grew up agnostic. So there was never any sort of talk about it in any way. And then when I got to college, kind of got introduced to Buddhism, which I found absolutely fascinating primarily because the the art that was created under the belief system of Buddhism was just mind blowing like these giant statues that were carved out of cliffs for generations and just to think wow what would drive you know a population of people to do this you know grandfather father son all chipping away at this mountainside to form a statue like what would drive somebody to do that it's always been fascinating to me and then you look at these medieval churches and the amazing stained glass windows that were just stretching from floor to ceiling like, what would drive people to, to build these beautiful churches and these amazing stained glass windows and i've never really been able to wrap my mind around the concept maybe because i I, you know came to it too late or just haven't had an inclination towards that but i i did sort of formulate my sort of belief system over time or something that just made sense to me in the realm because i think we do all have a void in the you know that part of our lives to have something to fill that void for some it's it's god for some it's buddha i guess there's you know hundreds of different paths ways to the waterfall i suppose but i'm I'm curious what you, what you made of it after all that time and, and deep, deep focus on it.
1: Yeah. I think similarly, you look at every culture, you know, throughout history, development and spiritual, like you, they've all had some quest for, you know, the spiritual, whatever. And, um, yeah, I think agnosticism and atheism is more of like a modern day thing. You know, it's, it's more of like, you know, postmodern enlightenment and, and whatever. Um, but I think it's, I, I think it, you know, atheists and stuff look at spiritual people as kind of like brainwash or whatever, but I, I think it's the opposite. I think like, I think whatever sp- spiritual path you are like, personally, I'm, I'm Eastern Orthodox. I believe, you know, like I believe Orthodoxy is like, I guess the, the most true. Um, but I don't think that I don't think that other religions don't have some level of truth in them. Um, and so um, but yeah, I think atheism is and not to rip on any atheists, like people have journeys and things, but I think it's kind of limiting, you know, because it's, you're saying like nothing, you're saying like, there's nothing. Um, and I think there's obviously something like everybody knows it. And every like culture and history has known it. They built these, like you said, they built these monuments and performed sacrifices, you know, killing people. <laughs> Or like whatever you know like something has been going on and i think it's really limiting to say nothing um i think that's the most limiting so um yeah i don't know i don't remember what the question was sorry
0: i don't know <laughs> There, that's all right. yeah i basically just want to riff a little bit about spirituality as a you know a concept and then how it plays out in your life now and how that has sort of shaped and molded given your adaptation to that realm as, as you said seeing yourself as a spiritual warrior for a while and really being driven by that aspect of life really deep in a, in a really deep and meaningful way ever since you were 17 graduated high school early and started train jumping you were searching searching for meaning and and it led you into a cabin in the woods that you built with your bare hands for three years with no electricity and no water in, in search of this thing that, that you said that you seem to find is it is it a place within you or is it a sort of a way of seeing the world or or something else entirely?
1: Yeah. I mean, Christ says the kingdom of God is within us, you know, and I think that's true. I think like finding, finding that within yourself, like in the image of God, um, you know, we have this capability. We also have the capability for like, to be totally evil. And I, I think when we look at, people and we think like we read these terrible stories on the news or whatever and we we see somebody that's totally evil i think we always just kind of judge them like as if they're something else but they're also just us like they're they're a human like us we're capable of that same evil like there's you know maybe a different experience maybe whatever i mean whatever they did was evil right it was wrong um but i think to look at humanity as having the capability of sainthood and having this, the capability of, you know, like devilish behavior, like we we all have that within us. And uh, to be like truly illumined to become like, to follow the one path, you know, I think that's, I don't have, I I wanted to be able to achieve like some spiritual loftiness, but I think in the end, I just was able to be more honest with myself and and kind of see myself where I'm at. Like I have struggles, I have, you know, issues that I have to overcome. but I, but I know what they are. Like, I know where I struggle. I know where my faults are and I'm able to look at them and hopefully change them with time. So, um, I would like to say I've achieved some, some great spiritual loft, but in fact, I went from like praying like six hours a day, meditating six hours a day, um, to now maybe like 20 minutes a day. So, um, I I didn't, I didn't, but I think the 20 minutes a day now, um, at least I try for it to be more intentional than the six hours a day, you know, like, um, there's a parable, Christ talks about this parable of uh, of this man in the temple and he's like praying and praying and he's standing in the front and uh, and he's rambling on like, thank you God for this, this, this. And Christ refers to that man, as praying among himself. Like he's like praying to himself. And I think that's kind of what I was doing a little bit. Um, Kind of like glorifying myself a little bit and yeah i think it's good to stay take a step back and i had some struggles of faith and things like that i also got very depressed um towards mm-hmm. the end um but i feel much healthier now like i feel like i can look at life with a much clearer vision and uh and yeah and the, the lord has been very good to me like i'm very blessed like i've got a beautiful family i've got a nice business um got a nice house and i'm, I'm really
0: blessed Love to hear that. And such a beautiful journey that that you went on as well. And a few things come into mind. What one is that that parable you shared, and, and you mentioned earlier, you know, some sort of potential delusion. And I, I'm, you know, something something that fascinates me is this idea that there, you know, that we we have this perception of spirituality of like, oh, I'm going to go into a cave or on a cliff and just like meditate and pray. And, but in a way that is like it seems sort of delusional because you're detaching yourself from society, like. And it is almost self, like what is really happening there, you know? And now you've got a, an amazing business where you are offering high quality wool pillows, much better than the alternatives. And in a way you're praying with your pillows, right? You're, you're, you're contributing to society by engaging with the chaos of the world and not isolating yourself and, and praying, which is like, to me, what you're doing now is much more spiritual, actually working, striving to improve the world than like isolating and like, detaching i i don't know what you think of all that you're you're the one living it you know
1: yeah no i i I think i agree like i think there's a place like a place for like people to be isolated and uh, and i think their prayers are powerful and then i think there's the rest the rest of us that um that we can like do something good and like make the most of our what we have um and that's what we're trying to do with the wool shirt like we're trying to make like quality american wool goods and like change the world for the better, like, you know, so that I don't, I don't want to get into that too much, but, but we're trying to just like do like quality work and um, for the glory of, to the glory of our community, the glory of God. That's what we're trying to do.
0: It's beautiful. It's to me, religion as a tool, I see why atheists reject it. There've been so many stories, horror stories that of the, in the name of religion, and maybe that's being, promoted by the mainstream media for some various purpose or because it gets clicks, you know, it gets attention. People, people love to, you know, hate on things, but at, at the same time, there, there's a tremendous amount of good. And, and if we look at what like, you could even say, religion is a tool. It's a tool for us to better ourselves as, as men, as, as, as mankind, as humanity to, to become more, to become better. I think we all go through the, the day with various voices in our head, various impulses, urges you could say oh that's the primal mind the lizard brain and we, we've got this higher self you know maybe it's the, the neocortex is this, this thing that makes us human this small part of our brain that can that can be enlightened and, and be altruistic and give back to to the community put ourselves aside be selfless and you know that's maybe what makes us unique as, as animals on this planet in a lot of ways and who knows why that is but in, in a lot of ways the spirituality is this sort of open question that we all get to play with and, and figure out how can we be the best person that we can be in a lot of ways and and it is it is beautiful to see that you know many of us are grappling with this and and coming to a certain place where we're able to and and, and it does feel like a grapple every day like there's there's no it's like every day is, is a new challenge and, and a lot of days we're just you know we're the victim you know we're the ones who are being beaten down by you know the devil you could say are these demonic sort of thoughts and impulses and this this dark side that is is not at all easy to, to get a grip on all the time, but there are also some days where we can conquer it. And then for me, at least it's like, wow, what did I do? What did I do in that day? Or like these days where I, where I was able to get a grip on it. It's a fascinating game that we all play.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Man has been given this like dominion over the animals and the dominion isn't like, it's not to like Lord over uh, the animals, but it's like to create this harmonious system. And like, we, we, see what that could look like like that could be beautiful like regenerative agriculture and things like that like it can absolutely be beautiful where it's a beautiful system you know if we're just trying to like rule over and like impose our self-will in this in this evil way it can look very ugly and it can look like you know um like cattle you know consolidated cattle lots and uh not that that's like the most evil thing in the world but like you know it can look like concentration camps it can look like all sorts of other terrible things or it can look beautiful and it can look like we've
0: created a,
1: you know, a society of harmony and peace and love.
0: That is, that is really the driving force in our lives. If we allow it to be, we, we can all be a part of that sort of vibration or ethos or vision where there's this much more beautiful world that I feel like it's just, just out of reach, if, if we could just get more people to sort of awaken or turn on or, or choose to choose to be a part of it. And it seems to me, I was thinking recently about the about the concept of sin, where it's like, we are all familiar with the, this idea, like, oh, there are these sins, you know, must have been a mind blowing concept when it was first created. Right? Like, okay, mm-hmm. greed, lust, lazy, sloth, slothness or, you know, laziness. And then, and then we see that, you know, play on a micro scale, we know that it hurts our life. in in this small scale when, when we do these things. And then now there are people with so much power, like uh, Bill Gates, for example, if he decides to do something out of greed, forcing, um, you know, a medicine on people that is, hasn't been well tested and has shown to do damage. now all of a sudden that's playing out on a grand scale because he has so much power. All these people are, are, are dying and, and being maimed by, you know, a quote medicine that wasn't properly tested and has been amazingly profitable for him and, and his people because you know, greed. And, and I'm curious what you think of the, the concept of sin and sort of how it's playing out in, in today's world.
1: Yeah. Bill Gates is a doozy. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I said, I think we're all, we're all capable of like great evil. We're all capable of great good. And, you know, when we're putting ourselves first, I think we're sinning, like in, in the way of like, not like caring for yourself and like looking out for yourself. But I mean, like when you're putting your own like selfish ambitions first, you know what I mean? There's, there's a difference. Uh, Like caring for yourself and eating good food is not selfish. You're just, you're just, you know, creating, you know, good food and good energy for your body to create more good energy. But, um, but yeah, when we look out for others and we look out for our families, our community, we look out for like how, what we do affects others, you know, um, like Christ says, the two greatest, greatest, commandments are to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that the, the entire law can be summed up in these two commandments. So like you think of that, it's like, well, if you're loving God and you're loving your neighbor, like you're not sinning. And I, I think as long as you have those two things, like you're good to go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what is, what does God mean to you?
1: That's a, that's a heavy question. Yeah, there's there's a prayer in the Orthodox Church. Uh, It's prayed like every... It's like Trisagion prayers. Uh, They're prayed before any other prayer is prayed. So it's like an intro prayer for the prayer. And uh, it goes, um, O Heavenly King, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, uh, treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and abide in us and cleanse us from every impurity and save our souls, a good one. I think that's kind of like... That contains the essence of who God is. Like, God is everywhere. He's not. He's not something that can be bound. He's not something that can be bound in our mind. Uh, he his his energy. Uh, it fills everything. It fills everything. And um, it's easy to put to put God in a box and try to like create. I don't think we'll ever know the fullness of God. I, I think it's beyond comprehension. And, um, but what I do know, like through, um, through like studying theology and like through like own personal experiences, um, you know, I believe God is, is, uh, the Holy Trinity and, uh, and exists everywhere and is found is not found nowhere.
0: (laughs) Beautiful. That is that is an, a wonderful prayer. Even just hearing you say that uplifted my spirits, and yeah. and it illuminates the power of words in in just like a fundamental way. It's like even the concept of prayers. Like we we you know we can string together these words and phrases, and and it changes the way that we we see the world and interact with everything on at a fundamental level. It's really powerful. Yeah, hundred percent. Man, well, we got we went to some deep places in this one, I, and and <laughs> wide ranging, <laughs> wide ranging conversation as, as well. My mind is a little bit blown, and I've really enjoyed I really enjoyed this this conversation. Is is there more you'd like to say about anything that we covered, anywhere that we went, any any other sort of topic or idea that that's coming to mind?
1: Yeah, I uh, I didn't expect the conversation to go this way. Um, and uh, we were just going to talk about pillows or traveling, but this was great. I mean, I love organic conversations. Like I feel like it's mo- the most real, you know, so I, I'm satisfied with uh, if you have any more, if you have any more
0: questions about pillows or <laughs> or anything. <laughs> <else on here. laughs> Beautiful. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about, let's focus on the pillows for a bit because I, I am curious, the pillow itself, I know that it's made from cotton case on the outside wool on the inside and where can folks go to to check it out or, or pick one up and and what is it what is it like for me end making these and, and sending them out to people yeah i don't want to turn this into an advertising thing because it was a great conversation
1: <laughs> so yeah i won't even talk about it really let's just um our company is the wool tire we make uh, we make handmade wool pillows and uh yeah the, you can read about it on our website and we're hoping to like get into more American wool goods eventually. Um, so that's kind of the vision for the company. We'd like to do like, we kind of like to just get into the whole wool space and, um, and bring it back to American wool crop um, quality products. And so that's where we see the wool Shire going. And, and we're super excited to like be part of the space and to be part of like the awakening of natural fibers and, uh, and all of that. So yeah, the wool shire.com and uh, you know, our, handles are just the woolshire
0: beautiful and I've everywhere to find chase in the woolshire down down below in the show notes and this was a powerful conversation I I really enjoyed it I we connected over a mutual appreciation for quality goods natural fibers doing good in the world and and I've thoroughly enjoyed connecting with you and, and learning more about your story and and listening to you share your wisdom and and it's been it's been great so appreciate everything that that you've shared with me here today and everything that you're doing out in the world keep 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 on keeping on it's awesome stuff and uh appreciate your time thank you chase
1: thanks case thanks for having me on good conversation